Welcome to Still Dead from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert who doesn't mind torturing Eve for the team, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher and CEO of Hell Incorporated, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we are here today to talk about Angel Season 5, Episodes 11 and 12, Damage and You're Welcome, both of which are watchers. Stay tuned after the end of this episode for a spoiler discussion if you have already seen all of Season 5. We saved the world together. I mean, Buffy helped, but it was mostly us. So let's raise the stakes. Damage, a psychiatric ward patient named Dana escapes, does much violence, and seems to be possessed by a demon. Lately, she's been speaking different languages and has incredible new physical strength. Both of our ensouled vampire champions want to save her, so Spike chases after her while Angel goes into research mode. Angel figures out that Dana isn't possessed, she's a slayer. It's been six months since Willow's activation spell that gave every potential her full Slayer power, and no one could have foreseen a case like Dana's. When she was a child, a man killed her family, kidnapped her, and tortured her for months before she was found and institutionalized. In addition to her own hellish nightmares, she's also inherited the memories of other Slayers, including the two who were killed by Spike. When Spike tracks her down, the nightmares merge, and Dana believes Spike is the man who tortured her. Meanwhile, Giles, who is now running a new Watcher's Council in Sunnydale, sends Andrew, now a Watcher in training, to Wolfram and Hart to help Angel find Dana. With the assistance of a psychic friend of Lorne's, they track her to the abandoned distillery where she'd been held as a child, but arrive too late to stop Dana from overpowering Spike, drugging him, and cutting off his hands. Angel tells Dana that the man who really tortured her is dead and then knocks her out with a tranquilizer. Andrew then orders Angel to turn Dana over to his care. As a slayer, she belongs to the new council, and no one on the team, the old Scooby gang, or even Buffy, trust Angel anymore. A dozen slayers back Andrew up and take Dana away. Angel goes to visit Spike in the hospital where he's recovering after the surgery to reattach his hands. And this dark episode ends with Angel and Spike pondering the nature of evil and remembering that once upon a time, they too were innocent victims. Damage aired on January 28, 2004. It was directed by Jefferson Kibbe and written by Stephen S. Knight and Drew Goddard. All right. So, Dr. Jones, Jesus, this is a powerful and difficult episode Ooh. and I'm wondering on the perfect happiness scale with stake this at zero and lost your soul at six where do you land with damage well I had to change it from a happiness scale to like an appreciation scale <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> and I gave it a five although narratively it probably deserves a six because mm-hmm. um, for me damage is the darkest and most disturbing episode of angel but it's brilliant in that darkness And it's great to see Andrew and get an update about Buffy and the Slayers and the new council. Uh, The consequences of Willow's Slayer spell here like are really intriguing. And I appreciate the questions this episode raises, you know, how much damage can someone withstand before they break in ways that can't be completely healed? And then what choices do they have about who they become? And then what happens when severe trauma is followed by a supernatural destiny? You know, what is the nature of evil? Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate the bonding here for Angel and Spike um, and the conflict that Angel feels knowing that Buffy doesn't trust him anymore. But, you know, it all works like it's it's brilliant, but it is just Mm -hmm. too brutal for me. And, yeah, you know, I wish we had found out what happened to Dana after the Slayers took her in. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I said, structurally, narratively, it's perfect. I have nothing to stake. It, it's it's just too it's just too hard for me to watch <laughs> it is it's a really really difficult episode I gave it a six because mm-hmm. you know as an episode of television I mean god damn this is 
amazingly good. It is, like you said, very dark and very disturbing, but it absolutely represents the best of what Angel can be. Like it's well motivated and psychologically haunting and it's consistent with the world building. It's philosophical and it's tense. Plus we get Andrew and a stake of Slayers, which is the nomenclature that I am now using for a group of Slayers. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I mean, it's just the episode itself is so so good you know just from like a writing standpoint that I can't give it any less than a six at the same time oh god it's so hard to watch and when I remember this episode I always feel like I didn't like it you know I always feel like I did because because watching it isn't exactly an enjoyable Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. but it's it's just so incredibly good and philosophically crunchy and I think represents like the best of what Angel can be. Yeah. And I love the crossover between the two worlds. Yes. You know, absolutely. because they did it mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So and and one of those crossovers is my first moment of perfect happiness because Andrew. Yes. Because oh my God, Andrew. Andrew. Like, I know. <laughs> it is so great to see how happy yeah. he is to see Spike. I know. No, I love that so much. It's so good. And of course, he has to relate all of this in, in fictional terms. You know, mm-hmm. he's my Frodo. He's alive. <laughs> You're like Gandalf when he comes back from the Balrog, more beautiful than ever. It's just, it's so incredibly sweet. I just, I love Andrew so much. And I, mean, I love that they gave him competence. Yeah. You know, he's been training. He's been learning. He's actually handling himself really, really well, you know, in this circumstance. And I love that he's working with all of these slayers, that Giles has given him that responsibility and that he's up to it, that we're not making him incompetent for the sake of a joke. Yeah, absolutely. But he's still Andrew and he's still spinning yeah. stories, you know. Yes. We Let saved the world the together. The the vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Buffy helped, but it was mostly us. Like, come on, Andrew. Like, come on. No, it's so cute. It's so cute. But you're right. Like, he is becoming more competent. And mm-hmm. um, I appreciate how he stands up to Angel. You know, mm-hmm. he says, yeah. mm-hmm. she's a slayer. That means she's ours. And mm-hmm. we're not going to let you take her back to your evil stronghold. But right, my favorite Andrew line, I think this might be my favorite Andrew line from both shows, is <laughs> I've got 12 vampire slayers behind me and not one of them has ever dated you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's so great. It's, it's so, so great. good. You know, and he tells Angel, you work for Wolfram and Hart. Don't fool yourself. Mm-hmm. We're not on the same side. Right. And, you know, Spike has now told Angel this. Yeah. Now, Andrew is telling Angel this and the message is not getting through. So, right. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was just really good. But, oh, God, I love singing Andrew. Yes. He's such a delight. Tom Lank as Andrew is just so incredibly charming and sweet. And he has this lovely vulnerability. He's just wonderful. He is. And and that reminds me, Lonnie. Oh, yes? This episode of Still Dead is brought to you by <laughs> SlayerOfTheVampire.com. <laughs> a lot has changed since Buffy's beeper day. So Andrew created a new app to help people all around the world connect with the Slayers. SlayerOfTheVampire.com has widgets for reporting vampire attacks, demon and hyena possession, spells gone wrong, (laughs) apocalypses, and even the occasional psycho slayer. Their online store has a great selection of stakes, crosses, holy water, swords, and black leather coats. For a low monthly subscription fee, you can support all the slayers who never dated Angel as they keep fighting the good fight against the big bads and enjoy Andrew's weekly video news updates. Not to be confused with Ashcole Facts. <laughs> Go to slayerofthevampire.com and use the code BESTMOJO in town to get your discount today. <laughs> or instead, you could choose to take the $3 you might spend on slayerofthevampire.com and give it directly to Chipperish Media so we can keep on making the great podcast you love. Go to patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. Oh, and you're welcome. Oh, break my heart. That is so good. I want it to be real because I want to subscribe. Right? <laughs> I would subscribe. 
subscribe to Andrew's stories. I totally would. I absolutely would. I and all the products that they have there. Yeah. And, yeah. I want I want great. Andrew in front of my fireplace with a big leather book. Yes. Like oh, and a smoking me. jacket. Yes. <laughs> He's so cute. He's so cute. Um, I also, like, I did get a little frustrated with Spike in this episode because uh-huh. I don't think Spike knows how to handle a traumatized Slayer. Oh, um, God, no. You know, we need we need Angel for that. But mm-hmm. I love the, you know, sorry, love, I don't speak Chinese. Like, right. calling back to the first Slayer he killed during the Boxer Rebellion. And mm-hmm. when he was explaining to Andrew... Why he didn't tell Buffy he was still alive. He was like, hello, Buffy, it's Spike. I didn't burn up like no. you thought. How are things? <laughs> like, it's just, it's so Oh, great. God, it's so cute when Andrew's like, well, I could tell her. I know. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if Andrew did tell her. Or did Andrew yeah. actually keep a secret? I don't know. I don't know. Andrew's different now. Andrew yeah. has grown. Old Andrew would have called her at that moment while Spike was there. <laughs> But new Andrew, you just don't know. <laughs> Old Andrew would have taken a selfie with Spike right there on the street. Exactly. And texted oh it to, Buff- uh, to Buffy. Be like, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Aww. And I, I really love Spike. You know, I love Angel coming to see Spike in the hospital. Yeah. And then Spike saying, you know, I'd give you the finger, but apparently I don't have the motor oh. skills until the drugs are off. Like, <laughs> God. But oh, my God. I think my favorite Spike was... The fact that he has no resentment whatsoever towards Dana mm-hmm. for, for cutting off his hands. Right. You know, he said, the last thought I killed her family. And I'm supposed to, what, complain? Because hers wasn't one of the hundreds of families I did kill. Right. And so it's oh it's not the brooding, tortured soul thing that Angel gets that, sometimes. Yeah, right. But it's mm-hmm. just an acceptance of. Yeah, I've been really, really, really terrible, and now something terrible happened to me, and and that's how it goes. And fair enough, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, and I like the stoicism with which he, yes. you know, he handles that, and you can really respect that, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. And I and I love Angel for figuring out mm-hmm. what was going on. Um, yeah, you know, he said mm-hmm. she's not a demon, Wes; she's a vampire slayer. And yeah. he was back in research mode for a girl he was not crushing on. Right. Or obsessively sketching. Yes. And mm-hmm. that was really good to see. Um, yeah. And and like I said, I just love him going to the hospital to check on Spike. And I think their conversation at the end of this, it might oh, be my God. favorite, you know, interaction between yeah. the two of them. Because mm-hmm. um, you get this, you know, the whole nature of good and evil and personality with vampires and you know, Spike says, for a demon, I never did think that much about the nature of evil. Just threw mm-hmm. myself in, thought it was a party. I like the rush. I like the crunch. Never did look back at the victims. Mm-hmm. And Angel says, I couldn't take my eyes off them. I was only in it for the evil. That was everything to me. It was art. The destruction of a human being. I would have considered Dana a masterpiece. Oh, my God. That is such a wonderful, both of their perspectives on the ways they approach their evil. Spike with this kind of wanton carelessness and Angel with this passion for, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the passion for the work. Yeah. You know, and yet both of them, you know, the damage to their victims remain the same, but the way that they approached it you know, is so different. Their their philosophical approach to everything. And there's this moment where, you know, Spike is saying, well, what do you want me to do? Get all boo-hoo because she got tortured and driven out of her gourd. Not like we haven't done worse back in the day. And Angel says, yeah, and it's something I'm still paying for. And Spike says, and you should just let it go. It's starting to make you look old, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, there is that difference in the way. I mean, you know, Angel's constant brooding does get a little bit old, you know, but he does feel very responsible for all of the evil that he does. And having had a couple of trips around the mulberry bush with Angelus in recent years, you know, yeah. he's still processing. That's like new stuff for him to process, you know. Um, and then for Spike, it's like it's done. It's done. You yep. can't go back and change it. There's nothing you can do. And yet they're both doing the same thing. You know, Spike is engaging in this help the helpless thing. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, he is doing the same thing that Angel was doing when the show started, you know. 
Um, and so it's it's interesting that with these very, very different perspectives on how they handle their past and their own culpability and responsibility for that, they both end up doing the same thing, again, from different perspectives. They do good, the same good from different perspectives, and they did the same evil from different perspectives. And yeah. I love the way that they've they've woven that into this story. No, I mean, it, it's just brilliant. And And when they're talking about, you know, like what creates a monster? Yeah. Um, you know, and because Angel's talking about, you know, maybe the Slayers will be able to help Dana. And Spike mm-hmm. says, the tingling in my forearms tells me she's too far gone to help. She's one of us now. She's a monster. Mm-hmm. And Angel says, she's an innocent victim. And Spike says, so were we once upon a time. Oh, my God. Oh. That is one of the most powerful moments in all of Angel. Yeah. It's... It's so good and it's such a like that that line at the end of that episode functions like a slap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh my god, or like a punch to the gut. It's it's so true because you look back at, you know, what Spike was when he got turned by Drusilla, what Angel was when he got turned by Darla. Um, and that both of them were not, I mean, Spike, I think was okay. Like he loved his mother and he loved writing poetry and he mm-hmm. had this incredibly romantic soul, you know, um, Liam was kind of a, you know, kind of a loser, kind of a yeah. layabout, you know, with the serious daddy issues, but neither one of them were monsters. They were, you know, innocent. And mm-hmm. then they got turned and this thing happened to them. And again, you know, that brings us back to the conversation that we have all the time, why are they responsible when possessed, you know, yep. but nobody else when possessed is responsible. And it is, I think, because they're because they're still in there, yep. like who they were is still in there. And there's something about that mixture of demon and human, you know, even without a soul that holds them responsible somehow. Yeah. Even though I don't know how they would stop it. I don't either. And and the mirror that it holds up between them is also mm-hmm. fascinating because yeah. if you look at William, you have this, you know, very poetic, romantic yeah. person. And Liam was very careless and in the moment. Yeah. And then as vampires, Angelus is I mean twisted but yes. deeply romantic in his way and, mm-hmm. you know, poetic in his very dark, twisted way. And yeah. Spike is completely careless and party. And yes. it's, it's, oh, it's, God, yeah. it's a really interesting parallel between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that was so beautifully done here. Oh, my God, I know. It was so good. And then I had a small mm-hmm. moment, too, with Gunn. Yeah. Uh, because Gunn's on a slippery slope, you yeah. know, of becoming like full-blown Wolfram and Hart. Um, And he's, you know, he says, it's not about what I believe. It's about evidence. Mm -hmm. And Angel says, I think I liked you better when you just wanted to hit people. Yeah. um, Guns kind of falling into the dark side, Mm -hmm. you know, um, is, is a really interesting kind of, it's, it's being played very subtly in the background. And it's really interesting to kind of see that happen, that he got something out of this, out of, uh, for all the, you know, soldier soul stuff that we see going on there. Mm-hmm. He's the one who really feels like he is, he's sold the most. Yeah. Well, you know? and Gunn has literally sold his soul before. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, has. it's really, really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I thought about things to stake, but. I mean, the truth is the things I hate seeing in this episode, you know, the torture of a child and Spike's hands getting cut off, Mm -hmm. like actually work the way they're supposed to work in this story. So they're not stake. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm sorry, too many hands have been cut off on the show. Um, Yeah. But that was perfectly motivated. You know, Dana says, you can't touch me now. Right. And, And it also created a very interesting link between Spike and Lindsay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, which I just find fascinating. So I didn't put anything in stake this. Yeah, I didn't have much. There was a moment with Andrew. Like Andrew is often always treated as a comedy mule. And part of that is because Tom Link is hilarious and delivers such wonderful, 
like hilarious stuff with with Andrew. Um, but there's this moment where, you know, Andrew's like, oh, I'm 82 percent more manly now and then immediately gets knocked down and screams, you know, as though masculinity is undermined by the expression of fear. Like that's the joke, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, I didn't care for that that much. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, honestly, that's a, that's such a minor, minor little moment in this whole thing, which is so rich and fascinating and mm-hmm. philosophically crunchy i just i i love i didn't have much to say no at all. but it's a yeah. really good point because even when we get an episode that is you know like mm-hmm. narratively perfect yeah mm-hmm. like all of the underlying you know patriarchy and misogyny and all that stuff is still mm-hmm. there yeah like it does it's so, terroir. It's yeah. in the culture. It's in the ground, gets in the grapes, gets in the wine. It's just it's just part of our culture. Yeah. You know, so I don't blame the writers because it's you know, they look at it and they just think, Oh, you know, this is so how funny and how cute because we have him scream and yep. I'm like, you know, just because he's a man, he shouldn't be afraid. Right. You know, I mean this this is scary, scary stuff. And mm-hmm. so yeah, I don't know. I um it's it's just another thing. It's it's really not about the writers or the story. That's a that's a cultural critique. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so while I didn't have stakes, I did have research questions. <laughs> oh yes. So how and why did Dana get the memories of Zenrong and Nikki Wood? You know, I mean, I know that slayers have prophetic dreams, right? Right. Um, and her. Because she was already in the institution. She was already on a number of, I'm sure, psychotropic meds, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it is possible that something in the medication made these prophetic dreams that she may have had uh, seep into what she believes is her lived experience. So yeah. um, so I think it's just something where, like, the the fabric of reality has been really torn apart for her. And so she... You know, she'd have a dream that mm-hmm. has those experiences yep. in it. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, you know, because, you know, like, I mean, shoot, I take melatonin and my dreams are, whoa, you know, oh, I yeah. mean, like, so can you imagine Me with too. everything they had her on? Yeah. But you know, what she'd have access to. I mean, she had the dreams, but she also had memories, like real memories. Yeah. And, you know, when she painted her face with the blood, we see the first Slayer do that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like she inherited. And it, so I wonder, like, was she also psychic? Like, is this, yeah. this might be like a super powered slayer, even above and beyond your regular mm-hmm. slayer. And then you mix that right. with everything that this child went through. Um, oh, and it's just, I mean, you're, you know, you said it was haunting and it absolutely mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started wondering about like the tipping point of evil. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if you're turned into a vampire, you're still sort of yourself sometimes. And Mm -hmm. may retain many of your human qualities and personality traits, but you lose your soul and become evil. And Mm -hmm. so is there an equivalent experience in the mundane, violent human world? Like, does a soul have a breaking point? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Is that, I I think, you know, yeah, is that, I think it's a metaphor. Yeah. I was like, is the show trying to say that souls can break? Yeah. I think maybe that, you know, I mean, and you see that happen, you know, like it's this, you know, very trite saying, but hurt people hurt people, you know, and you see patterns of abuse that travel down through families, you know, not necessarily because of any um, genetic predisposition, but, you know, somebody abuses their kid, that kid grows up and abuses their kid. And these things have a way of of rippling forward through time and generations. And I think that there are things that can happen and traumas that can happen that can absolutely break people. Um, You know, there are evil, terrible people in the world. Are they that way because they were born that way? Are they that way because they were traumatized as children? Uh, Or are they that way just because shit happens like mm-hmm. people are born are people born broken sometimes i think maybe you know um so yeah it's a it's a very complicated question and it is kind of interesting if you look at you know cuz all of these stories are all metaphors for something you know yeah the idea of the vampire the rules around the vampire that they can't come in unless invited mm-hmm. you know there are certain monsters that can't, that won't be able to hurt you 
until you invite them in and you can invite them in innocently without mm -hmm. even realizing, you know, what you're doing, but you still invited them in. Um, and, you know, they, they seem human, you know, they appear as human and yet do these, these terrible, terrible things. And then you can see their real face, you know, when they turn evil, then you get to see their real face, but not until then. So, it is, it is kind of like, I think, a really interesting metaphor. And of course, you know, Buffy didn't invent vampires. They've been around, um, you know, mythologically for, you know, centuries mm -hmm. in, our, in our cultural stories. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why the monster was built the way that it was. And I think that it does reflect some, some level of human experience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, just light, fluffy research question yeah <laughs> yeah and you know i mean it's also i think this really interesting question too about this idea that everyone is an innocent victim before they turn into a monster mm -hmm. you know that everyone is is turned into a monster not necessarily because they chose it but they're just turned into it and what is it that turns them yeah. You know, I mean, we have this very clear process in the vampire lore of, you know, vampire bites you, then makes you drink their blood and then boom, you're turned, you know. Um, but the the idea that every monster started out as an innocent victim mm -hmm. is kind of just this incredibly heartbreaking thought. You know, it's it's really disturbing. It's a really disturbing question. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really disturbing episode. Um, yeah. So <laughs> on that, I'll brood. <laughs> <laughs> Damage is a watcher because it updates the story world after Willow's Slayer activation spell at the end of Buffy, and it brings Angel full circle. He made the choice to become a champion in order to help Buffy, but now Buffy has lost all faith in him because of his choice to take over Wolferman Heart. So there's a real break in the Buffy Angel universe now with the newly reformed Watcher Councils, the former Scoobies and the Slayers on one team and Angel and Wolfram and Hart on the other. Yeah. God. All right. So <laughs> let's move on to something that's, you know, slightly less disturbing. You're welcome. <laughs> Welcome. When a super evil client kills five holy women and jumps dimensions, Angel decides he wants to quit Wolfram and Hart. But then Cordelia wakes up from her coma and comes back to the fold. After a round of warm reunions, a warmth which Cordy needs because so much material is missing from all of her shirts, she warns Angel about working for Wolfram and Hart, but her warnings are interrupted by Evil Eve and Faux Doyle, aka Lindsay, who are ramping up their plan to kill Angel. Cordy helps with the big fight. Lindsay is pulled into a meeting with the senior partners, a.k.a. sucked through a portal into a dimension where he will most certainly be killed. And then Cordy and Angel go back to his office, and she tells him that actually staying with Wolfram and Hart is his path, and now that he's on it, she can go. Before she leaves, she kisses him, and then the phone rings. He answers it to the news that Cordelia has died. She never actually woke from her coma at all. You're Welcome aired on February 4th, 2004. It was written and directed by David Fury. All right, Dr. Jones, here we are with Your Welcome, which is commonly a fan favorite. I've heard lots of people tell me how much they absolutely love this episode. So on the perfect happiness scale, with Stake This at Zero and Lost Your Soul at Six, where are you with Your Welcome? I am one of those fans who love this. Um, I gave this mm -hmm. a five. I tried. I tried so hard. I put on my skeptic hat. I <laughs> went in... Like, I'm furious that the writers killed Cordy off. I wanted her yes. back for season five. The way they treat women on this show is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. I'm a little confused about Lindsay's motivation. Right. And I hate, or his plan. Yeah, or, or something. His anything. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and I hate Eve in this episode. But yeah. I just can't help loving. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. It has always been one of my favorites. Uh, it gave me so many moments of perfect happiness. And not just from Lindsay's tattoos. Oh. So, but one of them is a spoiler, so we'll talk about it in the spoiler section. We will talk about it at the end of the episode after the music. Yes. So those of you who want to hear the spoiler part, just hang on after that. Um, for me, and this is one of those episodes that no matter how much I try to love it, I just can't. It makes me 
way too angry. So I gave it a three. I have always hated this episode because it is such a cheap use of Cordy again. Bring her back, make her entire existence about nothing but Angel, and then just kill her off. You know, mm-hmm. all while making her costuming as skimpy as possible. It feels like humiliation porn. Really don't appreciate that. Um, the episode itself, like, isn't that bad. I mean, it's good to see Cordy again and then to see her reunite with everybody. Of course, reunions are like one of my favorite things. I will almost always enjoy a reunion no matter what. Um, and while Lindsay's return is flat and stupid in both motivation and execution, it's good to see him again. Like it was really fun to spend that time with Lindsay too. I just cannot get past all the infuriating aspects of this story enough to actually enjoy it. So I'm going to move into moments of perfect happiness and you can hopefully add <laughs> Add in all of yours because I didn't have that many. Um, for me, I mean, it was great to see Cordy again. The return of Charisma Carpenter as Cordy is really nice. And she does, by the way, she is a trooper. She mm-hmm. came in. She did a great job with it. Um, but the things I hate about Cordy's return are not about her or the character, but really what is done to her and the character. So I'm going to talk about that later. But um, but her as a, as a presence in the episode is wonderful and I love her and I missed her so much so I'm so so glad to see her again yeah um the reunions of course my my favorite thing I love seeing everybody just hug her and be so happy that she's back um I like that she remembers Connor and can talk to Angel about it although like the world building on that you know whatever fine um <laughs> you know Wesley and Cordy having that moment where she's like we want to use when I thought we would kick it old school which is a phrase I never want to use again you know it's so incredibly cute when they're there doing the research together um and when Wesley says you didn't kill Lila and Cordy is trying to apologize it's just it's such a nice moment and Wesley and Cordy had this really you know strong relationship they've been together since I don't know the 11th episode of the first season yeah so I mean they were the original core support team on Angel and it was really nice to let them spend that time together and have that that bonding in this episode. Um, I also enjoyed, we didn't get a lot of Spike, but I enjoyed, uh, I love him playing the video games for his <laughs> his dexterity rehab. Um, feel my wrath, gorilla throwing barrels. I love that. Um, and I love that he goes to help Angel when Angel has to fight off Lindsay. You know, he goes and, and joins in and, you know, and fights the good fight with him. And I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. All right, so those are my moments. Moments of perfect happiness. You go ahead and give me yours. Uh, yeah, I have a list. Um, yeah, you do. I also love Spike playing the video games. Mm-hmm. Come yeah. on, you stupid plumber. Like, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I said that playing Mario mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, like, I love that Cordelia still has vision and mission and purpose. In an, you yes. know, at the time when Angel is, is just losing his. And mm-hmm. I love having the presence of Cordelia and Doyle back because those were the first two with Angel. You know, for a while it was just the three of them. And yeah. and it's just a video recording of Doyle, but we still get him in this yeah, episode. And Cordelia nice. watching mm-hmm. that commercial. Our rats oh, are low. God. It just Our rats are low. Uh, it breaks my heart. And it's so sweet. Yeah. But Spike and Lindsay bonding over getting their hands cut off. And Lindsay says, Believe me, I can feel your pain. And Spike says <laughs> half of it anyway. I'm like, oh my god, I just, Aww. I just, I just can't. Um, yeah. And you know, Cordy, Spike's a hero, and you're CEO of Hell Incorporated. What freaking bizarre <laughs> world did I wake up in? Like, yeah, it's so great. And and Cordy wanting to just kick it old school with Wesley in the books. I know, you know, it's so sweet, so great. And and Wesley's absolute tenderness when he says you didn't yeah. kill Lila you know like mm-hmm. forgiveness given without being asked for yeah is so beautiful um mm-hmm. and I'm sorry I have to put Lindsay's tattoos in my moments of perfect happiness Lonnie because that's just the kind of girl oh, of I course am you do but they are very pretty they are very pretty they're so pretty and mm-hmm. and then Cordy telling Spike I heard you weren't evil anymore which makes the hair kind of silly <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's ridiculous that Spike bites her, but Mm -hmm. the dialogue, I thought he had a soul. I thought she didn't. Like, (laughs) it was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. And I like Cordy calling Eve Lila Jr., even though, like, Eve wishes. 
but oh, right. it was still funny. And she is no Lila. She's yes. no Lila. And Harmony, you know, I'm evil yeah. technically. I don't mind torturing her for the team. Like, <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. It was so funny. And, you know, mm-hmm. freaking Cordelia with a sword going after Lindsay. Right. I know my rights and I want to see a lawyer. I'm like, that oh my God, is the, the Cordelia no. I love. But if that isn't like law and order dialogue, then I don't know what is. <laughs> I mean that I was like, like oh god. I, okay, well I'm maybe there's I'm something wrong with me. Like you no, know, there is nothing wrong with you. Love what you love, baby. But I do worry because one of the things I love most about this show is Wolfram and Hart, and it's literally Evil Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Lonnie. I don't, I don't know. Ain't nothing yeah. wrong with it, baby. I love Wesley saying, "I'll take away your bucket." Like, <laughs> so you, do just, I. There are some. <laughs> There are some depths into which you don't want to look too long. You stare into the abyss. The abyss stares back into you. So just accept it and move on. Oh, my yeah. God. Yes. And and for everyone listening who does not know this, Lonnie, because she loves me and because she's wonderful, made me a gift of Wesley that says, I'll take away your data in oh, yeah. the bucket scene. And it's like my favorite, 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 favorite thing ever. And- yes. Yes. I'll share that on uh, on Twitter it's at one so point. Somebody good. remind me. Somebody out there remind me to share because I know I'll forget when this episode goes up. It's so good. And I, and I like I have questions about Lindsay, but when they're fighting, you know, he tells Angel, I came to fight the vampire with a soul. Guess you shouldn't have sold it from champion <laughs> to pathetic corporate puppet in just a few months. And I'm like, what puppet. more puppet one more puppet they knew what was coming they know what's coming yeah you know and i like cordelia telling wesley that he still works the best mojo in town and and at least like i don't like cordelia dying but at least their last kiss came from her and not him Uh, yeah and it was a Mm -hmm. good kiss oh yeah but you know Okay, I'll talk about it in stake. No, we're we're ready to stake. So go ahead. <laughs> can I go ahead? Yes, can I go you ahead can. and stake what the actual male gazing fuck is this? <laughs> um, why are all of Cordy's shirts open to the belly button? Why? It just it feels like humiliation porn, and it drives me crazy. And the fact that Boreanaz gets to fucking mac on this one too before she goes. <laughs> Every time he kisses another pretty lady, I'm like, what the fuck in James Bond hell are you? Like, he just gets to kiss everybody. He is the Captain Kirk of demonized Los Angeles, and he drives me (laughs) crazy. I absolutely hate it. Um, And then, like, this moment, too, they're in the hospital, and Wesley's like, you look, well, I don't want to really say hot, but I'm like, yes, absolutely. One of your best friends who has recently woken up from a mystical coma, by all means, let's sexualize her, please. Um, what they did to Cordy, what they made her wear, and when I say wear, I mean that I like fully finger quoted because that was barely anything. And it just, it just pissed me off i mean you know charisma carpenter is a beautiful woman she is just as beautiful in a fucking turtleneck as she is with this stuff cut all the way down you know and there's no need to do that to her so yeah that infuriated me when i was watching all those shirts i was like what the fuck and it wasn't one it was every single shirt they had her in and it was a couple so yeah that infuriated me I, I fully appreciate it. And like I said, like, I know all of this. I'm watching mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, no, the purpose of a woman's life is not to stand by her man. No, you don't sacrifice yep. your death just to get him back on track. Like, mm-hmm. and yet, and yet, I yeah. still We've, we love this Cordy. freaking episode. I, I, I hate it. You we know? take Cordy. We, um, she comes back from the dead, right? Apparently, you know, not to see her parents, not to experience something that she wants to experience with the last 24 hours of her life, but to go and get the man on track. And then, first of all, okay, half of it, I don't know. I'll talk about that actually in research questions because I've got <laughs> so many questions about that bullshit. Um, but then, you know, she's just there to motivate him. And then they kill her as part of the motivation, as part of his storyline. And I find that so incredibly frustrating, um, all of it, that her entire life just became about him. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I find it really, really irritating. And then we have this stupid thing with Spike biting Cordy, which I absolutely hate. So that we could have this weird act break where, like, Spike is, oh, is he evil? Is he not? Yes, let's please run around that mulberry bush again. Mm -hmm. No, he's not evil. And then they're like, oh, you know, he bites her because he can taste the demon or whatever. And it's just freaking awful. She's not evil, but she is part demon or she was part demon and then she was possessed by a demon. So I imagine that she would have that taste of demon, right? <laughs> you know, when he tastes her, you know. Um, and I don't know. So like was being possessed by the demon and being part demon, did they just cancel each other out like two negative numbers when you multiply them and they give a positive result? I don't even know. I don't even know. But all of it is incredibly stupid. And it's just a cheap narrative trick so that we have an oh, my God, Spike is evil moment and whatever. Yeah. Um, so and, that really irritates me. And it me. makes no sense because since when have we had no. a taste test for evil? Like Since when does Spike need to bite somebody to find out if they're evil. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's all just incredibly stupid. Um, and then there's Eve, you know, yeah. who I've hated from day one. I have never enjoyed her character at all. And, you know, while Harmony is fine with torturing Eve, and that moment in and of itself is freaking adorable. I don't mind torturing her for the team. I'm evil. Like, here's the thing. Angel's like, we don't torture people. And then everybody's like, oh, no, we can't torture people. And then Harmony comes in and she's like, I can torture her. I'm evil. And when Angel says yes, Angel is torturing her because he's the one who says go ahead. Just because he's not the one hitting her doesn't right. mean that he's not responsible for the fact that she is in actuality being quote unquote tortured. Now it's not, you know, Kiefer Sutherland in twenty four torture, <laughs> right? You know, Harmony smacks her twice and then Eve gives everything up, you know. So I mean it's not like we have that whole super like morally questionable like long process to go through but it still remains we don't torture people then we don't allow our subordinates to torture people either angel really you know really do you think that that's the moral line is yeah. that is that what our champion is deciding now um so yeah i just that drove me crazy yeah i i did like the one second when eve first meets cordelia and Eve is like, my name is, and Cordy says, I didn't ask. And I was like, yeah, I appreciate that disdain from Cordelia Chase. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. But then, of course, Eve just has to bring up sex with Angel at the Halloween party. And I mean, you're talking of about course. using a shoehorn to fit something into yes. a conversation. You know, oh, God. you're not yeah. in charge of my comings and goings, but you were in charge of my comings. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, my God. Really? Really? Did I mention that I also slept with Angel because of David Boreanaz's weird ass contract? Okay, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying that I have any knowledge of David Boreanaz's contract, but some weird shit is going on here. This Captain <sighs> Kirk shit has got to stop. It's disgusting. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like Eve again, seeing Eve be elbowed in the face, I'm not gonna lie was kind of fun so i did actually enjoy that um but also like you know we need the arterial blood of a demon mm -hmm. and i'm like there are a million bad demons in the naked city you gotta cut lorne's neck i know you know why is lorne we don't do anything with lorne we've sidelined him and then we just use him for i don't know like i just we <laughs> All the things that we could do with Lauren, and we're not doing any of them. And so we just have to abuse him whenever he's on screen. Like, I don't understand what that's about. Yeah. No, that um, really sucks. So, yeah, I wanted to stake that, too. Uh, but my research mode questions, ugh, you know, I mean, okay. Here we have the powers that be narratively convenient, right? You know, so we have this mysterious powers that be who are helpful when the writers need them to be helpful and assholes most of the rest of the time who intervene when the writers want them to and then bugger off when the writers want them to and suddenly give Cordy 24 hours as a real girl before killing her. These are our good guys. Like, mm -hmm. what is that? And it is very much like the powers that be are this mysterious force that don't make any sense and don't have any rules 
tools and they might be good, but they really might not be good. And they're probably not good because they don't intervene and they don't, you know, there's just so much about it that is basically all about narrative convenience for the writers that every time they need something to happen within the story, instead of actually earning it through like story movement, they just go to the powers that be vending machine and order up whatever it is that they want and say, oh, they're mysterious when we ask why, <laughs> you know? So that drives me crazy late. And also, how exactly did Cordy manage to get a favor from the powers that be? Was she in another dimension, conscious and filling out, I don't know, vacation requests? Um, does she get mileage reimbursement? What the fuck with that? Um, why did Cordy know about Connor? Everybody else on that plane, their, their memory of Connor, aside from Eve and Angel, uh, is completely wiped. So if Cordy knows about Connor, then she knows about what Wesley did. And she knows about all that history. And everybody else doesn't know. And oh, my God. And why did Cordy, who apparently knows knows all while also knowing nothing start out giving angel a hard time about wolferman heart only to tell him at the end that this is his path and he needs to stay at wolferman heart what is that stay tuned for the spoiler discussion Yes, stay tuned. We will have that discussion <laughs> later. But oh, my God. Uh, another question I have, and this is really no big deal, is where the hell is Lindsay from? I mean, he had an Oklahoma license plate on his truck when he left town. But Angel says he's from Texas. And you know what? It really doesn't matter. Maybe he was an army brat and he lived pretty much everywhere. I have no idea. And he, nobody cares. But still. No, I care. Uh, I looked it up. Mm -hmm. Did you? The Yeah. The like Wikipedia version of Angel is, is sketchy. Um, it sounds uh -huh. like mm -hmm. Texas to me. If I had to okay. guess, it sounds like Texas, but okay, I don't know. I don't know. I tried to I find out. I don't know. Out. Why has he got an Oklahoma license plate on his crappy truck? Did uh -huh. he steal it? Maybe he stole it. Yeah. Maybe he took a bus from like Houston mm -hmm. to Tulsa mm -hmm. or whatever and just stole a truck and came on out. Sounds, you know what? Honestly, for Lindsay, it tracks, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So did you have any, uh, any questions I for did. the research section? I did. Starting mm -hmm. with Lindsay. So oh, okay. I was trying to understand Lindsay's motivation for mm -hmm. doing this. And he says, right. the senior partners gave that Euro trash vampire everything I worked for. Couldn't let that slide. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what the hell? What is he talking about? Like the right. senior partners gave the amulet to Spike. I, they gave it to Angel, who gave right. it to Buffy, who gave it to Spike. Right. And Lindsay is targeting both Spike and Angel in different ways. So who's the Eurotrash vampire? Because I thought he meant Spike. I think Spike. he means Angel. But and Angel? because Angel's running Wolfram and Hart. Hart and, I guess. And he wanted Wolfram and Hart. But also he left. Right. Kind of happily. Yeah. And, you know, and seemed at peace. And the thing is, is that Lindsay, by the time he left, had become so much more complex and interesting. Yes. And then they just flattened him out in a panini press. Yeah. And brought him back. And made him like super duper evil again and kind of like rewound that character. And that's the kind of thing that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, yeah. I don't understand Lindsay's motivation. Well, yeah, because like, it put my head in a whole different tangent. Like, I mm -hmm. didn't think he was talking about Wolfram and Hart. I thought he was talking about the amulet. And I, I don't, thought he was talking about Wolfram and Hart. Yeah, Hunter. and I think you're right. But in but my again, there's brain, no clarity. Right. And then yeah. I'm like, okay, but what is about the amulet? How it was how is it supposed to work? And how is it supposed mm -hmm. to bring you back? And yeah, was it about right. Wolfram and Hart or was it about that or like I don't know. it makes a lot more sense that he's mad about them giving Angel Wolfram and Hart, but it's so vague. But also who cares? Like he left. Yeah. You know, he left, was gone for years. Yeah. You know, probably playing guitar in some bar in Texas, having a grand old time. And now he comes back and hooks up with Eve and tattoos all over the place and figuring out this like long thing. Okay. But here is the thing. He does all of this to kill Angel. Right. Right. And I guess I guess also to fuck with Angel, like that's part of it, too. Um, but messing with the senior partners, like he knows the power at Wolfram and Hart. Mm -hmm. Like what is I don't like I don't understand. And also why he's going to all this trouble yeah. and doing all this stuff just to mess with them. And if the lore of the beast who killed everybody at that branch I guess he wasn't mm -hmm. currently an employee, so he no. was spared. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't but know. But if the contract extends past death, how do you quit? Exactly. Exactly. You know? Like, yeah. It makes no sense. And if you can shoehorn yeah. in a 
completely ridiculous conversation about Halloween sex with Angel. Why can't yes. you shoehorn in Lindsay and his guitar? I know. As long as we're shoehorning here, people. <laughs> so my other question was about uh, mm-hmm. Connor. Yeah. So Angel says he's quitting at the beginning of this episode. He's going to mm-hmm. quit Wolfram and Hart. Right. What does he think is going to happen to Connor? I don't know. You know, and Gunn is like, yeah. let's not pretend this was a lease with an option to buy. And I'm like, Angel, mm-hmm. like, what the fuck do you actually think is going to happen? Right. You know, and then, uh, yeah. And then no one questions Cordy or Angel after the fact about uh-huh. the things she's saying. She says Connor's name. She talks mm-hmm. about evil giving birth to itself. Nobody well, responds. Well, I mean, I guess that they, they probably... I mean, I imagine everything about Jasmine happened. It's just the the stuff Connor with Connor stuff. Yeah. that wasn't there. Right. So I imagine that made but, sense. And then you bringing know, up Connor and nobody knows who Connor is. Right. But, but this yeah. is now the second time they've heard Connor's name because they heard it at the end right. of Home. And Fred yes. said, who's Connor? Yes. Now they're hearing it again and nobody right. follows up. Yeah, no, nobody raises so much as an eyebrow. And Wesley, Wesley's not going to be like, huh, wonder what that's about. Right? Um, at least Wesley. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I so don't it's, know. So it's very confusing. And like, I'm mm-hmm. super frustrated with myself because you know what? I would go watch this again right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I mean, I hate and despise it. Because of what they do to Cordy. Uh, because after everything that was done to Cordy in season four, this feels like a real slap in the face. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not a slap in the face. It's a slap in the cleavage is what it is. Um, <laughs> it irritates me so much. So I'm just going to go ahead and brood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're welcome as a watcher because it ends Cordy's story, although fucking terribly and only after stuffing her into a humiliating wardrobe for a whole episode to be essentially fridged. And because it ends the Eve and Lindsay nonsense. Well, it was good to see both Lindsay and Cordy again. Man, how I wish we'd done better for both characters. But we get what we get. And bad Cordy and bad Lindsay is better than no Cordy and no Lindsay. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Dr. Jones, I can only imagine what is making you hashtag still thirsty this week. Okay, so it's shallow, but I will own it. But Lindsay and Angel sword fighting with all of Lindsay's tattoos on display. Mm -hmm. And why why couldn't we also have seen Angel's while we were at it? I know. Right? Right. Couldn't couldn't Lindsay have just torn off his shirt? I'm just saying. Oh, no, he's not Cordelia. He gets a shirt. (laughs) I'm so mad about that. I can't even tell you. No, because it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, God, that man is just so pretty. (laughs) He is. He is very, very pretty. And I would heartily, heartily recommend that everybody watch Leverage if you miss Lindsay because uh, we get some lovely Christian Kane and Leverage and Leverage is actually a really, really good show. Yeah, it uh, is. So anybody who's missing Lindsay and wants to see uh, Christian Kane again, definitely check out Leverage. It's well worth your time. And his hair is even longer and it's beautiful. (laughs) He's so pretty. All right. So Kelly, what is your favorite part of these episodes? Oh, God. Spike and Angel and Innocence and Evil. And Spike mm-hmm. and Cordelia. Like, I don't, I hate how she's treated, but I loved yeah. having her back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is wonderful to have her back. Charisma Carpenter is absolutely lovely. And none of this is her fault. Right. This right. is something that was done to her. <laughs> absolutely. I just want to make that clear. Um, I, I really love the meditation on the cycle of evil in that last moment in damage. It is, damage is so... God, it's so difficult and it's so demanding and it's so good. And then to have that just sucker punch right at the end is so wonderful and beautifully done. And I just, I, it's terrible and heartbreaking, but I love it. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Dine Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still there. Still Dead and everything Chippers Media produces is made free and ad-free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to work the best mojo in town. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. This episode of Still Dead was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Dead is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our November producers, Jonathan, Noel, Kristen, Alyssa, Erica, Shelley, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. 
And this week's special message for our power producers, you know how you're always trying to save every single person in the world? Did it ever occur to you that you are one of them? Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you too can become a still dead producer. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or come to fight the vampire with a soul. And to say thanks to our rogue demon hunters who take the time to write reviews, we turn to the Prophecy Scrolls. I write these in reverse chronological order, so post your review and you'll hear your prophecy soon. For Madison J. Blue, Spike has been through hell lately. He burned up saving the world only to be brought back as a ghost, not ghost, got tormented by a serial killer spirit, manipulated by Lindsay, and had his hands cut off. An angel still won't give him an office. The powers that can be occasionally amusing have decided to give Spike a gift and have called upon you, dear one, to bring their vision to life. Your mission is to design a video game just for Spike. (laughs) One guaranteed to entertain him when he's worn out from sarcasm and championing. Give his avatar a great wardrobe, get plenty of hooch and rock and roll, and create a level with Happy Meals on legs. There can be bonus points for stealing Angel's cars. Anything you can dream... Anything you can dream up for our Blondie Bear goes, so have fun, baby. Just maybe leave out the barrel-throwing gorillas and the plumbers. (laughs) We'll be back next time with Season 5, Episodes 13 and 14, Why We Fight, which is a skipper, and Smile Time, which is a watcher. And it has Muppets. That's going to be fun. (laughs) Until then, Spike's a hero and you're running Hell Incorporated? What kind of bizarro world did I wake up in? All right, so here we are back for the spoiler discussion, which I'm going to let Kelly lead. So, Kelly, what are we going to talk about? Okay, I had three big spoilers. Um, Mm -hmm. So, from Damage, um, when we get to a hole in the world, which Mm -hmm. is designed to tear us into pieces and break our hearts and kill our souls and make us cry and cry Mm -hmm. and cry, Angel is going to need Giles and Willow's help. To try to save Fred. And he's not going to get it. And now we know why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that that, that it, you know, the conversation with Andrew at the end was important because, you know, he, the Slayers are calling their own. They're taking Dana back yeah. with them. But Angel needs to see the severity of the decision that he's made through the lens of the people he used to help and who used to trust him. And it's going yeah. to cost him in ways that. I don't, you know, he has no understanding of mm-hmm. because he's not going to be able to get there to have their help. Um, and sometimes when I watch Hole in the World, I'm so distraught. I forget why Giles mm-hmm. and Willow don't help. And so it's just like, okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then we get two spoilers from your welcome. So mm-hmm. we have Gunn and Lindsay who yes. have essentially become lawyers who sell out for power. Mm-hmm. And when the powers, uh, I'm sorry, when the senior partners call, like they, they grab Lindsay, mm-hmm. uh, we think they're going to kill him, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And they send him to this like very specific, terrible suburban hell dimension. Mm-hmm. And later in underneath, Gunn chooses to take Lindsay's place in that yeah. hell dimension. But in a way, Gunn has already chosen to take Lindsay's place at Wolfram and Hart. Right. You know, he's mm-hmm. that superstar lawyer that Lindsay used to be. And then mm-hmm. he's going to find himself trapped down by a demon, having his heart ripped out and literally yeah. take Lindsay's place. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that parallel between them was really, really interesting. Yeah. And then the big spoiler from your welcome, we see in the next to the last episode in Power Play that Cordelia mm-hmm. kisses Angel in order to pass the visions from her to him. Yeah. So Angel now has her visions and he's going to have the first one tonight, like the night that Cordy mm-hmm. dies. And that yeah. is setting up the final story arc for season five with the circle of the black thorn. Mm-hmm. And when you're watching this last half of season five, like it, it can feel like the writers are lying because there's so much yeah. that we don't see, like why Angel mm-hmm. is doing the terrible things that he's doing yeah. to get into the black thorn. But because mm-hmm. we know that visions can pass that way, mm-hmm. it, you know, through a kiss, because they came from Doyle to Cordy and then Cordy to Angel, it doesn't right. feel like quite such a cheat when that is revealed. 
Mm-hmm. But it helps me to watch those last episodes knowing that Angel has a vision. And that's yeah. motivating him to do what he does. Um, and I just love that bittersweetness of the visions passing from Doyle to Cordy to Angel. And yeah. it doesn't drive Angel insane this time, which I also think says something about what he's lost. Because right. Angel mm-hmm. is much less tender, I think, than he used yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just thought those were very interesting spoilers and kind of important for where we're going. Because we're in for a bumpy ride with the last half of season five. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. There's some great stuff, and then there's some terrible stuff. And dear God, my heart is gonna freaking break. But you know, whatever. I know. Can I know. Deal with it. And but, also, um, Angel's but- gonna get turned into a muppet. <laughs> I know Angel's gonna get turned into a muppet. It's gonna be so fun. Um, but here's my question, though. Like, I still don't understand why Cordy came in giving Angel shit about being part of Wolferman Heart and then at the end says, no, this is absolutely your path and it was my job to tell you that and keep you here. Yes. Like that still feels really inconsistent to me. The vision that he wakes up with, Cordy has already seen. So she knows that she's passing that specific vision to him. Yeah. And Angel says in power play, you know, he says uh, it started with a kiss. Cordelia gave Mm -hmm. me the visions. It was a one shot deal. So Angel mm-hmm. hasn't inherited all the visions. He got one. And Cordelia yeah. had already seen it. And he has to be at Wolfram and Hart in order to infiltrate the, the Circle of the Black Right, Thorn. but if she's already seen it, then why in the beginning is she giving him such tremendous shit for being at Wolfram and Hart? I think because he needs to remember why he's there. Like the, the muddling, okay. you know, all that gray space, all that, oh, we're trying to do some yeah. good. She's like, no, buddy, no. This you uh-huh. you have the chance you can infiltrate this Blackthorn you can fight them mm-hmm. that is why you're supposed to be here but you need to see this because without mm-hmm. that vision he wouldn't have he would not have seen what he needed to see yeah so and, I mean you that's, know they had to kill Cordy and they had to, to kill Cordy get it yeah but to that, motivate all of that for our hero and and, and that's yeah. just my impression based on the text I could be wrong but that's how I read it. Yeah, so. I don't know. I think that we're we're lacking some some real clarity there. But you know, whatever. We're almost we're almost there. <laughs> I know. I can't believe we're almost done. <laughs> we'll be talking about it soon. I know. We just got a couple more episodes to go, and then we're gonna be all done with Still Dead. It's kind of crazy. It is. So I hope everybody enjoyed our spoiler section. We will be back next week, and thank you so much for hanging out with us.